Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by... Greg Jefferson, I'm the business editor and columnist. Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter. And we're uh, recording this podcast uh, on Monday, September 20th. Uh, last Thursday, the city council uh, approved its annual budget, uh, a record large budget, $3.1 billion budget. And um, there was a lot of really interesting debate that happened on it. And uh, ultimately, uh, it was approved by a 10-0-1 vote, and the one vote of abstention came from our guest today, uh, District 1 Councilman Mario Bravo, who was elected in uh, in June, uh, has been serving for about three months in District 1, which includes downtown and, and, and a lot of basically the, the central San Antonio area. Uh, Councilman, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Hope you guys just call me Mario. Okay. <laughs> um you know, I want to start off by talking about your vote of abstention, and we, you and I talked a little bit about this uh, uh, last Friday. But uh, to, to give people a sense, you know, what your your thought process was when you decided. I mean, you knew that this was the vote, the the budget was going to pass, um, and I, I know that you you felt that you wanted to make a statement with this vote. What, what was your thinking when you decided that you wanted to abstain? I just really feel like we can improve the process um, for developing the city's budget. And, you know, a lot, a lot of senior council members said, oh, you know, don't get upset that none of your stuff's going to get in there. That, that, that happens every year to every new council member because the process doesn't support the ability for new council members to be able to, to shape the budget. And I thought, well, you know, if, if people will admit that it's broken, let's fix it. What is it, just out of curiosity, what is it that you wanted to see in the budget that wasn't there? You know, uh, we spend a, we have a, a housing crisis here in San Antonio, and uh, we invest in affordable housing, and we intend to increase that investment uh, going forward. We just passed uh, an amendment to the city's charter to change the language so that way we can include affordable housing projects in in our city bonds. And uh, so right now, my understanding is that that we're hoping to include up to $250 million in the 2022 bond for affordable housing. And so if we're going to invest in a big way in affordable housing, I want to make sure that that is a cost-effective investment. And so I wanted to see a study on what have been our previous incentives and programs to um, support affordable housing in San Antonio, which ones have been most successful, which ones have been most cost effective. That way we know how to invest that money going forward. And, and so to make sure that, that it's a good investment of taxpayer dollars. So then you were, you were unhappy that funding for that study wasn't in the budget? Correct. Is that it? Correct. Because you're talking about a bond issue that's really separate from this year's budget. 
it is separate from this year's budget, but, you know, we put it in, you know, we include affordable housing in every, every year's budget. Um, and so, but it's going to take a while to put out an RFP for that, for that study and to get the, get the results of that study. And so I was, I'm hoping that we could have that done before mm-hmm. we start spending those 2022 bond dollars. So that, that was one of the issues that I had. Another one was, um, you know, there are a lot of people in our community who own their own home that they live in and don't have a homestead exemption. Uh, according to the chief appraiser from the Bear County Appraisal District, it's that number could be upwards of 80,000 people in the county. And a lot of them reside in the city. Uh, I believe that a lot of those people live in low income zip codes and that they are shouldering a disproportionate amount of our community's tax burden. And so uh, I wanted some funds set aside for us to contract with entities to go proactively and and knock on those people's doors and call them and uh, confirm that they do live in the house that they own, that they don't have a homestead exemption and assist them in applying for that homestead exemption. One of the things that that you you also uh, recommended or proposed um, last week was the idea of funding uh, an independent study into the, the sort of the management practices, the culture at CPS Energy. I know this has been an issue that you've, you've talked about it well before you ran for city council. When you when you look at, at CPS Energy, can you talk a little bit about the things that concern you, whether it's, you know, rate structure, whether it's um, their uh, commitment or lack thereof when it comes to uh, renewable energy? Uh, I'm also curious, like what, how much responsibility you think they shoulder for the what we had, the, the, the failure that, that we had, the, the, the power outages that we had that were that were statewide, obviously, but I'm just curious what, what you know, how you, you look at that issue. The way I look at CPS Energy is I believe that they've operated more like a private company that we happen to own as opposed to a public utility. And so I'm looking for us to move in the direction of best practices for public utilities when it comes to transparency, when it comes to to uh, public participation. And, you know, we really haven't seen that. When I started working with CPS Energy and around CPS Energy, I found that they had a citizens advisory committee that was meeting in secret, that didn't publish meeting agendas, that didn't publish meeting minutes. And I didn't think that was right for a public utility. And so I started pushing for reform there and was able to get them to start publishing meeting minutes and meeting agendas for that citizens advisory committee, but they still meet in privately. And so you and I are not allowed to go to their meetings and observe what happens there or, or speak at those meetings. Mario, I'm, I'm curious, stepping back a little bit, do, do you feel any tension at this point now that you've been on council for a while between your, your former role as, as more of an activist and now you're, you're on the inside? Uh, I haven't, I haven't sensed that tension for me. You know, I had a lot of challenges, I guess, working with city, working with CPS Energy as somebody who wanted a citizen who wanted to be involved. And so now that I'm here, I'm wanting to make sure that the public can be more involved because I, I know what it's like to try and get involved and not be able to. And I'll give you a great example. We had a meeting recently, the the Community Health, Environment and Culture Committee um had a meeting and you know that was chaired by councilwoman sandoval she had passed a resolution on public participation and so she she um has discussions on there when it comes to public participation on a regular basis we had a former council member show up at that meeting um we had a former chief of staff 
show up at that meeting. We had, uh, I believe, the head of the Tier One Neighborhood Association show up at that meeting and complain to us uh, when it was during public comment about the challenges that they are encountering in trying to engage with their local government. And so, if you have a local, a, a former council member, if you have a former chief of staff saying, "Hey, this is really difficult. I'm trying to get involved, and it's and I'm having challenges," then I mean, imagine how challenging it is for the average citizen. And so that's something that I'm looking to improve upon. So stepping way back, uh, would you rather see CPS Energy uh, reorganized as a city department, kind of like Austin Energy, or do you prefer it as a standalone entity as it is now? Uh, you know, I'm not looking to bring them in under city council. Council members have a lot of work on their plate already. And so I think, the you know, being a board member as part of an independent board for CPS Energy takes um, a lot of time. And I'd, I'd like to see those people not have as much workload on their plate from all these other things that council members have to do. Um, however, I'd like to see the process for selecting board members improved. You know, right now, the process is the current board members get together behind closed doors and select who they want to to be the, the next board member and they send them to council for an up or down vote. And I think that we could do a better job of that. I also think we can expand the size of the board. Right now we have five members. SAWS has seven board members. I'd like to see us expand that to seven members at CPS Energy as well. So then are you talking about city council effectively taking over the, the, the process for filling uh, vacancies on the board of trustees? I'd like to, yeah, I mean, possibly. I mean, I'd like to see the council be more involved. I'd like to see it be more of a public process. You mentioned the issue of, of homelessness and, you know, one of the issues that came up in, in uh, the campaign that, uh, that you ran against the, uh, the incumbent that you ran against, uh, Roberto Trevino, was, you know, the fact that there were, there were uh, people in the, the Delview Neighborhood Association who were unhappy because they're, uh, I think it's fair to say that the, the, your, the, your predecessor sort of encouraged homeless people to to camp out near the uh, the, uh, the council field office, and um, I'm going to get a sense from you. Like, I know that was one of the issues that you really had to address early on once you were uh, were sworn in. Where do things stand now with that whole issue? Well, I've spent a lot of time meeting with uh, people in neighborhoods where there are a lot of homeless. Uh, individuals. I've spent a lot of time meeting with uh, leadership in the different nonprofits that perform homelessness outreach and, and services for the homeless, as well as the city's Department of Human Services, which works on this issue, uh, and, and um, the San Antonio Police Department, and talk to a lot of these people about what's going on. And what I've come to conclude is that None of these entities are going to solve homelessness on their own. It's going to take all of us working together. And I've also learned that there are certain, there are some people in our community who have such severe mental health issues that they're never going to be able to hold a job. They're never going to be able to um, house themselves. And that not only is it the compassionate thing to do, to be able to offer these people housing with, with different wraparound services to support them, but it also would free up a lot of not a lot of time at 911 call centers, and it'll free up a lot of time 
for uh, our emergency services departments to not be doing ambulance runs for these individuals, not be sending police officers out when these individuals are, are having some kind of a crisis out on the street. And so it can be a win-win here if we invest in permanent supportive housing and mental health issues, uh, mental health support in our community. And that's, that's one of the things that I was pushing for in this budget, knowing that I was asking for $10 million, which is a lot to, to amend the budget for at the end, but understanding that I could be planting the seeds of this conversation, getting the conversation going, because those federal relief funds that are coming in the way of ARPA funds soon could be applied to this. And I want to make sure that we are applying uh, a good amount of money, the, the proper amount of money towards that so that we can help get people off the streets, but also free up a lot of uh, 911 call services and law enforcement resources to, to address serious crimes. Mario, do you advocate a housing first approach to, to homelessness? And, and if so, do, do. Do, do you think that San Antonio uh, follows that or, or is, there, is there a gap there? Well, that, that's something that I actually asked that question of uh, Melody Woosley, our head of uh, uh, human services for the city of San Antonio from the diocese. I asked that question and she said that we do ascribe to the city of San Antonio does ascribe to the housing first policy. Um, my understanding is that when we leased that days in hotel with 49 rooms for one year, that uh, that, that program was going to be the wraparound services for that was going to be administered by SAM Ministries. And so I also asked SAM Ministries from the DICE and they they uh, replied that they are, that it is a housing first policy. I want to ask you a little bit about the, the issue of police funding, which is probably the the, uh, the the issue that maybe divided the council the most, or one that maybe got the most attention. Um, you had a vote, uh, an eight to three vote, in which the three new council members, yourself, uh, Jerry Castillo and Jill McHugh Rodriguez all voted. Um, for a reduction in the increase of the police budget, the the proposed increase was, which ended up being approved, was about fifteen million dollars, roughly three percent of the police budget. Um, and the situation is now that for big cities in Texas, because of, of a recently passed state law, it's almost impossible to reduce police funding because you're going to face penalties um, in terms of the lost revenue. So the question is, can we should we be increasing it and then kind of raising the bar because we're not going to be able to go back later on or should we you know should we think of freezing it or or, or reducing the amount of the increase i think the uh the proposal that the three of you voted on was to cut the the amount of the increase from 15 million uh cut it by about 5.7 million to a little bit more than 9 million um could you you know one of the things that came up was you had council members sort of commending the the police department and i think that you made the statement that you know you also are you know, supportive of the work of the police officers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, write a blank check or something along those lines. You talk a little bit about how you see this issue of funding, which is, it seems to be one that uh, there's so much kind of division about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you're, you're right. I definitely think that we do need police officers. They, there's a lot of services that they perform that are, that are essential for our community. Um, I think, you know, Councilman McKee Rodriguez is, point was that yeah if if we do we have to be very thoughtful about any increases in funding to the police department because if there's an economic downturn in the future we won't be able to make any cuts there so there's that but you know my point which i actually made in the council meeting the day before uh in our b session was 
if we're in the middle of negotiating a new police contract, we sh- I don't think we should be um, increasing their funding right now. We should hold that. Let's finish negotiating the new contract, and then we can revisit that afterwards. So that was, that was a posi- position I took the day before. Um, you know, and, and again, this is part of the challenge of the process. I don't think we should be making quick decisions on a lot of these things, whether it's uh, what the property tax rate should be or whether or not how, how large of an increase to the police budget we should have at the last minute. I would love to be able to see more time put in between the first budget amendment discussion and the vote, the final vote on the budget. Right. And, and that kind of leads to where I was going to ask you about, um, which I think you, you kind of answered there, but the, the issue of how uh, the city can improve the process for first year council members, which I think is, is something that frustrated you. You have four new council members this year. Um, all of them, I think, were uh, elected and sworn in in June. You, you, the budget is proposed in August. You, and the the council takes July off. So there's really, there really is very little time. I know there's a lot of public meetings and stuff like that, but there's a lot, probably not that much time for the council members themselves to really uh, uh, get in, involved in this. Um, what what do you think could be done better? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of the council, some of the council members were frustrated about last minute uh, amendments thinking, saying, hey, that should be done through the committee process. You know, uh, as a new council member, I was sworn in on June 15th. The, the mayor didn't decide on what the committees would be until July 23rd. My first committee didn't even meet until August 24th. Not all of my committees that I'm on have even met. And so there isn't an opportunity to run everything through there. And so some of these conversations can be had by the full council on the dais. And, you know, that for me, and one of the challenges there is we only get to speak for 15 minutes and we only get to speak twice each. And uh, a lot of these, we have spent a lot of time on the budget, but most of that time is spent in presentations from city staff giving us presentations. And you might have presentations from as many as four different departments. Um, and then after those four different departments present on their budgets, then you you get 15 minutes to speak. And so I think we need more time to speak. And maybe once we've had all those budget presentations from the different departments, I think we could have more full council meetings with a robust discussion of what the final budget could look like and be able to have, you know, just vet different ideas um, and do that. Don't, don't wait until the day before the final vote to do that. So provide more time for, the, for those discussions uh, in the full council and more time in between when those conversations are had and when the final vote is taken. Before we wrap things up, I wanted to ask you, um, about the, about the Alamo, which is, you know, is is within your your district, District one. Um, and the Alamo um, redevelopment project has been one that's just I mean, I, I guess for, for about a decade, we've been hearing, uh, you know, talk about this and discussion about it. Um, I, I guess the Alamo Visitor Center and Museum, which will house the Phil Collins collection is that's going forward. What, what else can you can you tell people about where things stand with this this process you know which we've been uh, hearing about so much over the last few years well it it seems to me that the process is moving along really well now uh so we've got mm-hmm. it moving and that's great and you know i said from the beginning that that i wasn't looking to take a role where i would you know leading role being in charge of the alamo it is in district one but it belongs to everybody in the state the alamo plaza belongs to everyone in the city 
Um, and I, I intend to be involved now. Funny thing is, you know, there was that book that came out, forget the Alamo. Well, the Alamo kind of forgot me when I came on council, they just did a groundbreaking, uh, the other day and I didn't even get invited. So I, I was able wow. to connect with everybody and fix that going forward. So I do intend to be involved. Um, but it, it seems to be that we're really making progress right now. One thing I'm excited about is they brought a bunch of historians together to look at the full history of the Alamo. And uh, they put together a, a, a series of videos touching on a lot of six different topics and to understand the full history of the Alamo. And, uh, you know, they're really proud of those videos. They're, they're being touched up and, you know, getting, I guess, some professional editing right now. And I said, mm -hmm. you know what, it'd be great for people who live in San Antonio to have access to those and be able to really understand the full history of the Alamo. And so uh, I asked, could we do a, a series of, of outdoor movie screens of them? And the city liked that idea. And I think we're going to move forward on that. So hopefully we'll be hearing about that in the next couple of weeks. Sounds good. Well, Mario Bravo, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. And, uh, and for everyone who's listening in, hope you're all doing well. And uh, we'll be back with you next week. Take care.